The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of our listeners for joining for for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening and thank you so much for making your comments on Facebook on the Spirit of Recovery page. Thank you for liking our Spirit of Recovery page there on Facebook and thanks also for your emails and for letting us know um, what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. Thank you for participating. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities, your friends and family know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And thank you so much for letting me know that our guests are touching your heart and making a difference for you in your life, your spirituality, and your recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community and our guests are always people who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. People who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. We're always bringing you practical information that you can use. Excuse me, I'm having (coughs) the after effects of a cold. Pardon me. Our guests are bringing you practical information you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen live via your computer. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can also um, now listen through any Alexa-enabled device such as Amazon Echo, and you can ask listen ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio on TuneIn. Of course, you can also listen um, to our archives. We've got lots of great podcasts, and you can listen on demand. Go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and listen at your leisure. 
I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're the family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction and um, whether or not you are in your own recovery as a family member, which you can be, family member or friends have recovery programs available to them as well, or whether you're just curious about the disease of addiction, and you're just looking for information, whoever you are, I'm very glad that you're listening today and invite you to participate in our discussions. You can call in or you can email in with your comment or question for my guests. Again, um, if you would like to uh, donate to UnityOnlineRadio.org, it's a nonprofit endeavor, you can do that. You can make a one-time donation or an ongoing donation. You can uh, text Unity Radio. 272727 from your smartphone if you'd like to support financially this radio station. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and I am uh, a Unity Minister and also an addictions counselor. And I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. Ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that walk keeps transforming my life, keeps me growing in ever deeper ways. So I am delighted and grateful to have the opportunity to share with you these ideas and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, again, we've got a great program. Our topic today is to be yourself takes courage. The great um, writer and speaker Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote, To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you into something else is the greatest accomplishment. And it really does take great courage to take a stand with yourself and for yourself, to quiet old voices that would tell you that who you are is not enough. And today we're going to be talking about that. My guest is Brent Huzel. And Brent has been a guest on Spirit of Recovery um, back in 2013, and he's going to be sharing with us again some of the ideas about shame and how that can be a block to us being ourselves. He's going to be talking about what shame is, how you identify it, and most importantly, how you can engage in a healing process and begin to move out of shame so that you can really be who you are. Brent is a licensed Unity teacher, and he has also been a spiritual leader for many years. He was the spiritual leader of Unity of Nacogdoches in Texas, and from 2013 to 2015 was the spiritual leader of Unity of Webster, also in Texas. And currently he has is living in Kentucky, uh, being part of the support system for his wife's family as they're working through some health challenges. Brent, as I said, has been active in spiritual leadership for many years, and he studied, lived, and taught the value of self-love and how we can create bridges across faith and cultural differences. So, Brent, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, and it's great to be here. Yeah, glad you're here. So, um, tell us a little bit about what you think about that Ralph Walder Emerson Quote, to be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you into something else is the greatest accomplishment. Do you agree with that? I absolutely do. Um, it takes a great deal of courage 
to be authentically who and what we are. It takes a great deal of courage to seek connection with other people through our vulnerability and to let what we're feeling in the moment show to be our authentic our authentic self. Um, and we live in a culture that um, does everything in its power to, to keep us from presenting ourselves to the world that way. We're constantly given the message that who we are is not enough, that we need to be quite different. What are some of the ways that that, that message um, comes across that we shouldn't be who we are? Well, we get it from parents, teachers, friends. We get it in early life. We get it from our religion. We get it from media, of course, and advertising. Um, in a consumer society, advertising is aspirational, right? They, they put up this perfect picture of this is who we should be. So if we buy that car or wear that suit or go on that trip, then we'll be those things. Um, and, of course, we all know at a deep level that's not true, that being self-aware, being authentic, being happy doesn't require those things, but we fall for it hook, line, and sinker. Those messages are ingrained in us. In fact, it's really not possible to escape the messages. possible not to buy into them, but not possible to escape them. There's a new field of research that's really exciting, and I had the great honor of uh, being at the University of Houston with um, someone in the social work program, PhD in social work at U of H, um, who was an early researcher in the field of shame. And her name is Brene Brown, and it's Brene's work that I'll uh, be referencing in our talk today. Um, Brene is B-R-E-N-E last name Brown. She's written a couple of great books. One is I Thought It Was Just Me, which is a real good introduction to the whole topic of shame based on her research, and that was followed up with The Gifts of Imperfection. Basically, Brene defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Shame is an emotional response to our environment that who we are is basically flawed, that we're, that we're broken. And it's important to understand shame and differentiate it from embarrassment, guilt, and humiliation. So embarrassment is fleeting. Um, it's normal. An embarrassing episode is something that we'll laugh about later. We'll feel embarrassment in the moment, and then a day later it becomes a funny anecdote we share with friends and family. Um, we know that embarrassing experiences are something that we all have, and that makes it bearable. Guilt, the feeling that I've done something wrong, is motivating and helps us learn about ourselves and how to make better choices. And, and guilt actually can serve a positive role for us. Uh, it lets us correct in the future. Humiliation, um, humiliation comes from something that someone does to us. 
we feel humiliated based on the response of the people around us. Um, and humiliation has at its core the basic idea that we don't deserve the experience, that it's innately unfair. So in an experience where we've, ex- where we've felt humiliation, we will angrily complain about it to other people. Um, a child may come home and say, you know what my teacher said to me today? You know, how dare they? Well, that's the child expressing an experience of humiliation. Shame, though, is a, a different creature altogether. Shame is that feeling that fundamentally at our core, we're flawed. So shame is that feeling that that not that I did something wrong or bad or or made a made a choice out of authenticity with myself, made a choice that I regret, that would be guilt. Shame is not that I did something wrong or something that I regret. Shame is I am something wrong. I I regret who and what I am. So that's the experience of shame. We feel shame in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have nausea, dry mouth. We'll have um, shaking or trembling. We, f- we feel it in the body. We'll get tunnel vision. We'll have the desire to run away, the des- desire to strike back. So we'll move toward, we'll move against. Uh, we move toward by people-pleasing. Um, yeah. One of the characteristics is we'll try to convince people that that they're wrong. Um, that's we'll we'll deny the experience. We'll make tons of excuses. We throw up screens, shame screens, to hide our inadequacy, to make all sorts of excuses. Um, and shame and fear linked. So however we typically experience fear, we'll experience it when shame is triggered. And the principal feeling of fear, that, that, that the basis of that fear really is a fear of being disconnected from other people. We're afraid of being pushed out of the herd. We're afraid of being labeled as unsuitable for social connection. Shame, blame, and power are all interrelated. Um, well, where does that initial shame come from? I mean, it, it is it's obviously really, really painful. I think we've all had the experience many times. Where does it come from? It sounds, I mean, it sounds obviously like it's really deep, like a really core experience. It is core. It It can come from parenting. It comes from our use of language. Um I mean, we 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 will refer to children as a bad boy or a bad girl, or we 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 see the world within our culture in binaries. There's right, wrong. There's good, bad, and we're a we're a culture that believes in retributive justice instead of retributive justice. And what that means is we think bad people need to be punished, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm able to label you 
as good or bad, you fit in one of these categories. If you're good, then you're you're worthy of my social acceptance. If you're bad, you need to be punished. Oh, we have a way in our society to understand the bad. We don't have a system. Um, We're losing your uh, voice, I think, a little bit there, Brent. Okay. There you're coming back now. Yes. Institutionally and culturally really don't have the language for restorative justice that would move, would see people not as good. But that would see people as just having made a bad decision, um, made bad choices, um, made destructive choices. Perhaps the choices that they made given their life circumstances were perfectly rational, and they were the only choices that they thought they had. They were the only options they were taught that were available to them. Um, But yet we still punish them rather than educating them on new new choices and new opportunities, giving them more options. It comes from our basic religion. It comes from the idea of original sin, that that we are all in rebellion to God and we need to we need to repent and be redeemed and we need that movement of grace in our life to restore us to something that God would be willing to even hear from occasionally, you know? And mm-hmm. a lot of our religious woundedness, um, religion can be a huge source of shame in our lives. A lot of the religious messages will shame our sexuality. They they shame who and what we are as um, and as I said before, media reflects it. We get it from mentors, family, friends. It, we're just inundated with this in our culture. I, for instance, I can make it very personal and say in my experience of white male masculinity as a middle-aged fairly typical American male, men in this culture are allowed to emotions, joy and anger. And that's it. So any public expression of any motion, emotion other than those two can, can be a moment of shame. Any experience of emotion or expression of emotions other than those two as a child was very actively shamed within my culture. Fall off a bike, hit my head, started crying, and the response was, be a man, stand up, brush it off. You know, you're going to cry like a little girl, what's wrong with you? Well, that's a very shamey experience. We internalize those messages, that that who and what we are, that very natural, biological, physical response of responding to the sudden shock and pain um, falling off a bike and hitting your head is greeted with the message that, you know, who you are as a basic organic being is somehow bad, wrong, and inappropriate. And we internalize that at a very, very deep level. Right. You know, it's really important um, for people in recovery to face and deal with <clears throat> with shame 
because on so many levels, I mean, just on one level, because when, when a person's in recovery, of course, what, what we're looking to recover is our sense of self or maybe even to develop the sense of self. Sometimes I, it feels like people, maybe people, a lot of people haven't even really developed that. So, so usually shame's kind of one of those barriers that you have to get through or face anyway, probably at, on many levels and, and many different times to, to get that sense of self. And the other thing that compounds it is addiction itself is, is seen as a, a shameful thing. And so when a person's recovering from addiction or even a person as a family member is dealing in their own recovery uh, as a family member or friend, there's that, that feeling, of, oh, my goodness, we our family should be ashamed because we got somebody that's, you know, got addiction or got alcoholism or whatever. And so it, it kind of really packs a big punch for people in recovery, this whole idea of, of shame and being able to address it. Right. I, I think shame can both fuel addiction and then shame is fed by addiction. And, of course, the messages that we get in society around addiction and recovery are shameful messages, right? Um, addiction of all forms is seen as a personal weakness, a personal failing. Why can't you just quit? You know, why don't you be responsible? Why don't you be these things? And it's, I mean, we understand the dynamics of it as being a disease. We understand how it works. We know that it's not a choice. If willpower alone got us through it, it's not like, you know, you go to your closet and decide what color shirt to wear today. Addiction doesn't work that way. Well, you know, what shirt do I want to put on this morning? Well, addiction is just, it's it's a compulsion. It's a drive. It's it's and, and it's a fear response too in a lot of ways in my personal view. And it's it's self medicating and it's so many different things to so many different people, but it's not a, a a process of choice. It's not a process where we think we have choice or power or control. And the way we heal addiction is actually the way we hear, heal shame. Um, the twelve step program is based on the, the courage to develop co- compassion and connection with other other people. It's based on developing awareness and understanding of our disease. It's based on developing empathy for ourselves so that we can express empathy to others. And it's, it, it's about demystifying what addiction is, contextualizing it, and understanding how, how addiction functions within us. And normalizing that process, understanding that no, we're not monsters, no, we're not you know, some sort of real weird kind of alien creatures. It's a fully human experience. Those are the exact steps that we use in recovering from addiction. Those are the exact steps we use in healing our shame once we're able to identify it, once we know that's what we're dealing with. Learning to identify our shame is, is critically important. And like I said, it's it's different from embarrassment, it's different from guilt, it's different from humiliation. What we tend to do with shame is have a very basic fear response. So we'll move 
against people. We become argumentative. We'll get angry. We will move away from people, so we'll be silent. We won't, we won't tell people what's going on. We will seek to break the relationship or, or move out of the environment. We want to be away from those folks. Um, and so learning that, you know, that we're actually in a shame response. We'll, we'll make excuses for our behavior. Um, for instance, um, it's a Friday afternoon or a, a Friday. There's an event at school for your child. All the mothers are supposed to bring something for the, the kids to enjoy at the party. And you stop by the grocery store and you grab a, a couple of dozen cookies and you run them into the classroom. And there's this mom there who is the representation of the perfect mom in your eyes. And she says, oh, look, store-bought cookies isn't that special. And your gut visceral response is, the voice that goes off in your head is, I'm a horrible mother. You know, I'm I'm this huge failure as a human being. And so you either get up at her and seek to blame and deflect and, and... cuss her out for what she said or, you know, you don't understand my life or I'm busy, some of us have to work, so you attack in some way, or you simply turn around on one heel and run, you escape the situation. So these are all the fear mechanisms, and if we can recognize what gets triggered at us in that moment and recognize what message it is we hear, what was what we heard, not what she said. You know, what did that bring up for us? What's the same message? And then once we recognize that same message, then we begin to tune in to the triggers of that message. What brings that message up for us? And then we can own it and we can talk about it with our trust community and our family of choice. And we can admit that we have these feelings. And once we have the courage to relate to people authentically, about what we experience, what we learn from the experience, how we have that shame in our lives. And if we're able to then listen in compassion to their sharing at that level, our connections with the people in our lives grow deeper, richer, more meaningful, more authentic. We become more connected and we become less a victim of automatically responding to our shame. Then we're able to manage our shame, to recognize it. And to begin to work through the process of healing. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. That really is the solution, is the is that process of connection. Thank you so much, Brent, for all that you're sharing with us. It is time for our first break. Um, listeners, stay with us. Our topic today is to be yourself takes courage. My guest is Brent Uzel, licensed unity teacher, spiritual leader, and he is sharing with us about... <coughs> how when we face our shame, learn what triggers it, make the connections to get vulnerable, find places that are safe and trustworthy, how we can move past that and really learn to be ourselves. And that's what I know we all want. So stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. (music) 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. For listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is to be yourself takes courage. And we are focusing on the idea of when you face that shame that those old tapes, those old messages in us that tell us that we're not enough, that we're not okay. But when we face that as recovering people or as anybody, that that does, it moves through that, moves that out of the way. And we realize that we are enough and who we are is good and needed and valued and that we can be ourselves in this world and be connected to other people. My guest is Brent Uzel, a licensed unity teacher and spiritual leader. And he is sharing with us from his rich experience and his study and teaching about uh, how to overcome and heal shame. Before I get back to my conversation with Brent, I'd like to ask you to join me in the Serenity Minute. It's a brief moment to relax, to make conscious contact with your higher power, to open up to that presence and power, and feel that connection with your higher power. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence from the crown of your head, allowing yourself to relax and take a breath. Feel that relaxation as it moves through your body temple all the way from the top of your head to the tips of your toes and share with me this constructive idea I am a good person I'm a part of life I am needed I'm valued and I am safe because I belong I am a good person I am a part of life. I am needed, I'm valued, and I'm safe because I belong. And now we take a moment in the quiet.
Thank you, friend, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that it was an opportunity for you to relax, to make that connection, to open up in that vulnerable way to that connection with your higher power. And so now we're back to my conversation with my guest, Brent Uzel, and we're talking about to be yourself takes courage. You know that Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, to be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you into something else is the greatest accomplishment. So Brent, before the um, break here in the first part of the program, you were telling us a lot of things about <clears throat> how how to recognize shame when it happens and some of the reactions um, that we have to it. And that's really a, a precursor to really being able to heal that shame is to start to recognize, you know, when we're having it. You know, a question that comes up for me is that how do you know as an adult when something happens if that other person um, is really doing something that's trying to make you feel bad or trying to shame you or if it's just they're saying something maybe irritating or maybe completely innocent and but somehow you're reacting to it or does it matter? How, how do you know? What's going well, on? Yeah, the important thing here is not what they do or say. It's how I respond to it. It's not what they said. It's what I heard. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any idea what their motivation is. And it could be completely innocent. And it, it may have been just poorly worded on their part. Maybe they didn't mean it. But they certainly, you know, it's doubtful they mean it, meant it as I heard it. The way shame works is shame triggers an unwanted identity within myself. For instance, in the masculine world in the United States, one of the worst things that I can be as a male is weak. Anytime someone says or does something in my presence directed at me that triggers that identity for me that I'm weak, I will have a shame response. I have that response because I've been taught that response by parents, friends, mentors, teachers, John Wayne movies, commercials, football games, you name it. Everything in our culture has given me that message. So if it triggers that unwanted identity within me that I am weak, then I have a shame response to that. So shame triggers are anything that triggers unwanted identities for us. You're calling someone, you know, um, they're unwanted identities for a mother, for a woman that had to do with mothering and their sexuality, right? I can imagine that, that there are all kind of names that you could call a woman around her sexuality that would be shaming uh, all sorts of ways to give a woman a message that she's a bad mother. Um, so any of these triggers, anything that happens to us, and, and again, shame is more often than not going to produce a physical response in the body. Pay attention to the body and what you feel when these things happen and understand it as a deep fear-based fight-or-flight response because that's what's going to happen. Now, the response to the shame moment when it occurs is to ask what identity was being triggered. So what did I hear? In the example that I used before about the, you know, the homeroom class and the cookies. So I have this identity that I'm a bad parent, that somehow good parent makes 
cookies instead of buys them. So now I'm a bad parent. So where what does it mean to be a bad parent? And write it out. Get real clear about what it means to be to, for you to be a bad parent, what's a good parent? And then try to look as objectively as you can at your own life. If there's people in your life that you trust, sit down and talk to them, you know, about I feel like a bad parent, and but I do all of these things that I think are good, and I do these things. It takes a great deal of courage to be able to work through our vulnerabilities and accept our vulnerabilities. It takes a great deal of courage and connection to reach out to other people and say, I felt shame because I felt like a bad parent. And if you had the honesty to sit down with somebody in your life that was also a parent and said that to them, you would probably see a great big old head nod. I promise you there's no other parent on the planet who hasn't felt that very same emotion at some time in their life. And that's how we begin to take the emotional energy off these shame triggers. That's how we begin to work through this. We have to become vulnerable and reach out to other people to describe it, express it, discuss it. That helps us normalize it, contextualize it, and walk through it. Mm-hmm. A great thing to do is just ask yourself, let me give you a a couple of quick questions to ask yourself. If you identify a a shame trigger, an unwanted identity that got triggered by some person, place, or thing in your life, and you've had a shame response, then, then think about what was the identity that got triggered? What was the message? I'm stupid. I'm weak. I'm... I'm... Poor, I'm unclean, I'm whatever. What was the label that was getting activated to you? And what does that label mean to you? And why is it so unwanted? And then where did that message come from that you were that or you could be that or that was part of who you are? The unwanted identities really leave us very little room to be human. Because our very human, authentic self is an imperfect self, and God designed it that way so that I would need other people in my life. One of the analogies is I, that I use is, look, it's impossible for me as a human being to grow the cotton in my clothes, to harvest that cotton, spin it, weave it into garments at the same time that I'm planting and harvesting all of the food that I consume. I just cannot one individual survive in this world. I need community to survive. What we know about children, if you put children in a bassinet and just leave them there, attend to their physical needs, feed them, clean them, and let them lay there without human touch, many will just die. Others will have severe, lifelong impairment. We are hardwired to be part of a herd, to connect to other people. Shame wants to break those connections. It wants us to put up a false face, a false front, that we don't need other people. Spirit wants us to run out and find the people that have the talent that we need in our life, embrace them, encourage them, and give them an outlet to grow in their skills. That's what spirit wants of us. 
Is that what our society tells us that we should be doing? Oh, God, no. Not on any level. So, so what's the difference these, between, Brent, between religion and spirituality? Because earlier you said that religion can be a part of the shaming process. So, now, what's the difference here? Well, and I don't want to kill any sacred cows, but I, I, I mean, religions tend, in in my mind, in my definition, anyway, what, what the experience of religion, what Christianity, most vocal form of Christianity in the United States today has become, it is really a very loud, long laundry list of who and what you should be. And messages of who and what you should be are inherently shaming. Because none of us are all of that all the time. We're just not. And religion encourages us to constantly live behind the shame screen. Right? Um, Because we don't want to admit that we're not that all the time. Um, How many of you are old enough to remember Jimmy Jimmy Carter? I mean, what a uh, when he was running for president, what a big news story it was when he admitted he had lust in his heart. That was this horrible bad thing, right? (laughs) Those are the kinds of messages we we receive from religion. For me, on my path, what I've come to understand and how I differentiate spirituality from religion is spirituality has really taught me my limits and taught me to celebrate them, and it's taught me to recognize that I am part of a greater whole. I'm only fully human in community. I am only fully human relating with other people, that I alone, left to my own devices, am less than human. A life lived alone is becomes a person in the world that's less than humane. Uh, the ancient Hebrews understood this. They understood that it took community to make a human being. They understood that we were born with a potential to develop as humane, fully human beings, but they knew it was a responsibility of the group to get us there. Uh, African traditional religion, the same thing, the concept of Ubuntu, um, as it's most often referred to in West African religions, is that spirit of shared responsibility and shared communing that makes us fully human. Shame isolates and separates. Shame is a message that comes from separation. Shame um, really it gets its fuel from the fact that I need to be perfect or at least appear that way to others. And so all of the energy that I put, in, put up a false mask to deny these identities of weak, vulnerable, um, don't know how to do a task, don't know how to do something, um, all of these these shame messages then seek to isolate me from other people and keep me out of full authentic community where I can celebrate other people's skills and support them in their skills and let those skills contribute to my life. And it's, it exists in a million different versions, and you probably heard it, so just play along with my my version if it doesn't match yours. But there's this 
this housekeeper whose first task every morning is to get up and put two clay water jars on a yoke on his shoulders and descend down from the house down the riverbank to the river to get water. And every morning he got his two clay pots, and he always chose this cracked clay pot that sat in the corner. And he would put that on one side and a brand new clay pot on the other, and he would go get water. And by the time he got back up to the house, the cracked pot was three-quarters empty. One day the cracked pot said, Master, I, I just got to ask. I can't stand the suspicion anymore. Why haven't you discarded me yet? Why do you continue to carry me to the river every morning? I lose three-quarters of the water, and you have to make more trips. So the housekeeper said, well, Mr. Pot, I'll tell you what, just pay attention to what you see as we go down to the river again. Walked to the river, walked back, and he said, okay, Mr. Pot, what did you observe? He said, well, I saw on one side of the path it was barren and dry and there was dirt on the other side of the the path. It was vibrant and green and filled with beautiful flowers. And he said, yes, that's right. And those beautiful flowers are because you watered them. Mm. It's our cracks. It's our imperfections. It's our vulnerabilities. It's those places in our life where we don't have all the answers. It's where I suck at math that allows my wife to be a superstar in my life and contribute to my life in real meaningful ways when I get stuck. And it's that reaching out to other human beings through our vulnerability and celebrating where they're good and I'm not and what their unique talents and skills are and all the different ways we show up in the world. And God meant us that way. I, you know, apparently God didn't mean for me to be good at math, or at least he was very poor at communicating that message. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it's having those those places in our life where we need other people that let us fit together as pieces of a puzzle that make one great, big, beautiful picture that makes a cosmos. What are some What are some spiritual uh, practices or some spiritual attitudes? that help us to move into that connection and out of the isolation? Three. Three principal ones. That doing any kind of shame work, much less trying to heal it, is impossible without three key skills. And these are something that they are skills. They're muscles we have to exercise. It's not easy, but we can learn and improve them. And the first is courage. It takes great courage to heal. It takes great courage to understand ourselves. It takes great courage to be willing to show up in the world as as we really are. It takes great courage to admit to ourselves that we feel shame, to accept who and what we are and our limitations and vulnerabilities. It takes compassion. We have to be able to love ourselves and love other people. We have to have that compassion for ourselves, and we have to have that compassion for others. Because the only way we heal this is through communion with other people, through being honest, through dialogue, through conversation, through sharing an authentic community. That's the only way we're going to get through any of this. And that takes compassion for myself and others. And compassion, of course, requires empathy. I have to be 
able to empathize with other people. The good news, empathy is hardwired. Mirror neurons in your head help you know instantly what other people are feeling. Um, empathy is an innate skill that in many ways we're untaught, that once we open to experiencing it again, it, it can come flooding back for us. And empathy is absolutely essential to understand where other people are coming from, what their perspective is, how life is showing up for them, and how they think of themselves in the life that they experience. So we need all three of those skills. We need to express them for other people, hold our heart open with those skills for other people. We also need those three skills applied to ourselves and accepting who and what we are. How do you get started if you're somebody that's really just starting out, wanting to identify your shame, move through it, be yourself more? What's a place to get started? Are there any books to read, any things to take, programs to take, or anything? How do you get started? Or maybe it's not that complicated. I don't know. Well, How do you what start? Was powerful, what was powerful for me and, and what helped me to begin to understand what is really a very complex topic was Brene Brown. She's got talks on TED. If you're familiar with TED, you can just Google TED uh, or TED Talks, TED Talks. Um, it'll pull up a whole raft of, uh, on the TED website, a whole raft of talks. Search for Brene Brown. Listen to her talks online. I thought her book, I thought it was just me to be very powerful, um, and so I would recommend you start there. Um, just to get an education in what this really means, a little bit more detail on you know how to discover the shame, shame triggers and how to work through it. And then in recovery, of course, we're, we, we should have in our toolkit already journaling. And using that practice of journaling to find shame triggers throughout the day or in the evening whenever your special time is to sit and reflect and capture the day. If you can identify where you felt shame and identify, look for the unwanted identity. Remember, shame is connected to an unwanted identity, a label applied to me that I would rather die than admit that is true for me. So bad mother, weak, vulnerable, whatever that message is, if you can get to that, then you can journal what that means to you, where it may have come from, uh, where did you get the message that that was bad, is it always inappropriate, what does it really mean, and work that through so that you begin to have a conscious understanding of what what it means, and you can contextualize it in your own life. You know, using the bad mother scenario, write out what it means to be a bad mother. Does store-bought cookies make you a bad mother and why? You know, noodle that out for yourself. Understand where that comes from. Where did you get that message? Then you can make a conscious choice. Does this fit for me or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it. Part of the, the really beginning of it is to be willing to take some time to pay attention to yourself. Give give yourself that gift. You do. It 
it takes that beginning of self-awareness to recognize where you are at the moment, recognize that fear response, know that it's shame, and it takes the courage and commitment to your emotional and spiritual growth to say, I want to explore this. I want to see what message this has for me. I want to learn where this came from, what's being activated within me. Shame will always make us respond to our environment in ways that are sort of over the top, much more harsh than what might be necessary on calm reflection. So that's another good indicator we're in a shame moment. Right. How has your life gotten better, Brent, Cause I, from your working with facing and healing shame? Because I know you've done this work personally. You share it with others through classes. And how's your life better? Oh, um, the biggest improvement in my life has been my relationship with other people. Um, you get an uncanny awareness. You can, you really can perceive shame in other people. Um, and it just it draws out such compassion and empathy when you when you see it. Um, it it just it makes life so much richer and so much fuller. It is being able to cultivate just that small group of people that I know that I can trust that I can say here's what I'm feeling and why. You know, and this is the identity that's true for me right now, and it feels really yucky. And actually, mm-hmm. to have somebody listen to that and put their arm around you and be with you authentically through that moment is incredibly moving. It's really powerful. Um, and it's just so affirming of what it means to be human. You know, uh, 12-step programs are great at helping us understand that we we do live life backwards, that our greatest strengths lie in our weaknesses, that surrender is really winning, right? That vulnerability is really strength. And this shame work really brings us, brings those moments home in real tangible ways and the depth of connection you feel with other human beings through living this level of authenticity and honesty with them is just truly amazing and that that need to put up a false front to be something that I know that I'm not and don't really want to expend the energy to be and those really unreasonable identities that I was running on myself to recognize no one is those things. My God, that's a comic comic book superhero. No fully humane human being is that thing. It's not possible to be human and be that. And once you get freed of the burden of trying to be that or appear that you are that, in public, you have so much energy for so many other things that really do matter and add meaning to my life and hopefully the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. That's really great. We're at the end of our time here today, but Brent, I want to thank you so much um, for the work that you have done and that you do with yourself for taking the time um, to love yourself and for all the 
wonderful words of wisdom you share with the people in your life, those um, with whom you share spirituality, and, and for all that you share with us here on Spirit of Recovery. I appreciate it. You really make a difference. You touch people. Thanks for, for uh, talking about this and for doing the work. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me, and thank you to the audience for their kindness in listening. You're so welcome. So, listeners, thank you again for being here with us today on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for your participation, and many blessings to you as you go forth to, with courage, be yourself. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. of spiritually conscious living start now for a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential tune in to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya ellen grace o'brien every thursday morning at 10 a.m central 8 a.m pacific only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world ever said to yourself, I'm living a life I never intended to create? What life did you intend to create? Did you set goals? Did you work toward reaching those goals? If we don't have a specific goal in mind or we don't know where we want to go, we may be likely to end up in places not of our choosing. Establishing goals along with guidelines on how to achieve them helps to keep us focused and energized and often makes our lives more interesting, useful, and successful. It's never too late to take control of your life. Once you have your purpose clearly in mind, explore the various ways you can make it happen and visualize the process you believe can work best. Set goals, do what it takes to accomplish them, and enjoy your process. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.